Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Well, I've got a different sort of topic I want to talk about today from the Word. But if we're honest, we've all, we all would have a testimony along this line. The title of my message is Navigating Disappointment with God. You go, well, I've never been disappointed with God. Probably you have. Probably you have. You might not admit it. You might not say it. But have there been times in your life where things happened and they felt devastating and they felt like you were asking, why did this happen? And you're trying to make sense of it. This doesn't make sense. And in response to that, your affection for the Lord began to just slowly, 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 subtly cool. And your passion for him wasn't as great as it had been. And there was just something that was kind of stuck inside of you. Anybody relate to that? There's a few honest people. This is a real thing. The Bible is filled with the heroes of faith who wrestled with disappointment with God. Here's the thing. God's ways aren't our ways. Even in the new covenant, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to get on board with, with what he thinks. But he is never bound by human expectations and boxes. He's God all by himself. He does what he knows is good and right. And sometimes our preconceived ideas of the ways that things should go is not in line with what his plan is. Can anybody say amen to that? Oh, absolutely. So, as a young man in early 20s, on fire for God, four years of Bible college, the Lord had saved me. He just plucked me out of the worldly lifestyle that I was living in. In just the craziest way. Just sovereign, completely. Never heard the gospel, never been to church. Didn't understand. He just plucked me out and drew me to himself. And then he just began to wash all of the crud in my life that I had accumulated and begin to purge me from that. And I'm on fire for the Lord. And I know he's put inside of my heart. I know he spoke to me. I remember church services where the spirit of God would come upon me like a blanket. And I, he, was, he was telling me, I had already planned, had my application into UNC Chapel Hill to be a pharmacist because I thought this is a good living. My uncle's a pharmacist. He makes good money. He has a house in the mountains. He has a house at the ocean. That's what I want to do. I know a doctor's too hard, but I'll be a pharmacist. And so I was going for that. And one Sunday night sitting in service, the Holy Spirit came on me and said, that's not what you're doing. Forget your application then at UNC. You're going to go to Bible college. I was like, no. No. I was afraid to tell my parents. Because my parents were all about upward mobility. My dad was an upper middle class executive at IBM. My brother was in med school. My oldest brother was a top engineer at IBM his whole career. I'm going to be a preacher. What in the world? So 
I talked to my parents, and they were like, hey, this is really what you want to do and throw your life away. We'll support you in it. So I said, okay, Jesus, I love you. We're going all in. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to preach the gospel. It's burning inside of me. The word of God would come alive in me and burn in me. And I'm going to preach. And so I went to four years of Bible college, and I'm thinking there's going to be connections that are made. I'm going to meet somebody, or I'm going to connect with somebody, and I'm going to get right into ministry, and it never worked. It never worked that way. And so I had a family, and then the Lord impressed upon us not just to have the two that we stopped with. We made a period, but he took an eraser and go, no, that's not where you're stopping. And we had five more children, and... I'm like, I, I've got to work. I've got to work my tail off. I've got to support my family. So I went to work. I started in a business that I didn't know anything about. And it was really ugly for the first several years. Really ugly. Really, really, really ugly. Like $4,000 a year ugly working 60 hours a week. Really ugly. And I continued to do that. And the whole time, there's something inside of me. Like, Lord, I know you spoke to me. I know you called me. I know this is what you want me to do. I love your word. I love your people. But there's no connection there. Was I part of a church that I served? Yeah, absolutely. I was even on staff, but I never got paid, which is okay. But this continued on. And I'm working business, and I have to get more money because little mouths are hungry. How many know little mouths are hungry? And, and they like to eat on time. And so I'm working and, and building my business, and pretty soon I've got this full-blown landscape business where I finally figured it out after several years of how to do it, and the Lord began to bless. And I'm like, the whole time, this, this, this lasted for 34 years, 34 years. The whole time I'm still loving Jesus, going to church, being on staff, ministering, preaching, but it just didn't work out that I was, quote, in the ministry. And in the circles that I ran in then, if you weren't in the full-time ministry, meaning that all your bills were paid by the ministry, then you weren't really in the ministry, were you, honey? <laughs> You're a nice boy. But that's the way it was put forth. I thought later on, well, I don't feel so bad. Paul was never in the full-time ministry either. Um, since he worked at night laboring to make tents, do you realize this? Paul not only labored to meet his own needs, but when he took an evangelistic team on a crusade, he worked himself so that he paid for his team too, not just himself. And he said that in the context of Acts 20, of it's more blessed to give than to receive. Y'all aren't, aren't very excited. <laughs> this continued on and on and on, and on, and on, and on, and there was no way out that I could see. And I loved Jesus. We did home church for 20 years. I was on staff at other churches, and we did things, but 
It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't how it was supposed to play out with what I knew that the Lord had spoken to me. And I was troubled. And over that period of time, something happened inside of me. I would never have said out loud that I was disappointed with God. I wouldn't have said that, just like you wouldn't today. But there's a low-key sort of a fever inside of your soul where you're like, Lord, what in the world is going on? You said, but look at this, and there was that. And so, in my own heart and soul, there was definitely a, a time period of years. I remember praying at a Saturday morning prayer meeting. I've told this story before, but Marie was there. Chuck was there, and, and we were praying, and I'm on my face saying, God, what am I doing? I don't want to be an entrepreneur like Joe Goss. I just, want, I just want to share the gospel. What am I doing? I don't even, I never even liked art. Now I'm a landscape designer? Like, what in the world is going on? I don't like working out in the hot sun every day. What am I doing? And he spoke these words to me loud and clear by his spirit. It's not the kind of word of knowledge that you normally want to get. He said, this business is a monument to your own nothingness. This is in the early days when I was really struggling. He said, now you see what you can do without me. I, oh, this is a good thing. This, this feels really disappointing to me in my soul. And so, was I angry with God? No, I wasn't angry. I love the Lord. But there was a low-key something that was gnawing at my gut. Like, what is going on? This is not what I expected to happen. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you've had things, maybe not the same as me, but things happen, and you're like, why did this happen? I, this doesn't even make sense. Here, I'm trying to serve the Lord with all my heart, and nothing is happening the way that I envisioned it happening. Starting to get a few more amens. But did you know the Bible is filled with our, with our heroes of faith had the same kinds of experiences? This is not like something where you're a backslider now if you've felt some sense of disappointment with God. The issue is not that. It's that it's part of God's process. The disappointments that we have in life, even the losses, even the things that are devastating, they're not supposed to diminish us and decrease us. They're supposed to deepen us. And the Lord's saying, in this dry, Psalm 63, and thirsty land... I'm still making you my treasure. You're still the one I'm loving and seeking. And here's what's happening, tree of righteousness. Your roots are going down deeper into the soil. And the Lord's going, if your roots didn't go down deeper when the storm came, you would go down. But I'm going to make you strong. And he's a good father, so he doesn't spare for our crying. I cried a lot to the Lord. What in the world? He's like, it's okay. It's okay. Think about Abraham. He had some of the most incredible encounters with God. The Lord appeared to him and visited him multiple times. 
One time, he had the experience in Genesis 15 where the Lord comes in bodily presence and he says, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm swearing to you that you're going to be the father of many nations and that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. He's like, my wife is old. I'm old. We don't tango anymore. You get what I'm saying? She's barren, never been able to have a child. And the Lord just ignores that. He said, but here's my plan. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to split these animals right down the middle, and I'm going to do it myself. I'm going as a burning torch through the middle of those animals. And the covenant symbolism is, if I do not keep my word to you, let me be like one of these animals that has been cut in half and destroyed. That's God. That's a pretty strong covenant. He made that with Abraham. He told him over and over again, I have said you are the father of many nations. How long was it before Isaac was born? Anybody know? About 25 years. 25. Then Isaac's born miraculously. He marries Rebekah, and the family line's coming through them. Lo and behold, Rebekah's barren too. The Lord's like, this is what I like. No human flesh is going to take credit for what I do. No human flesh. Sarah's barren. Rebekah's barren. Then their son, when they finally have the miraculous twins, Jacob and Esau, Jacob gets his dream bride finally. Rachel, she's barren. What in the world? Lord, you, you promised the line of the Messiah is going to come. You're going to make me the father of many nations. These are my seed. Barren, 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 barren. How do you like that starting out? How do you like those cards? The Lord's like, look, I don't need you. I want you. But I'm going to use you, and I'm going to show you that at the end of the day, whatever happens that's good is because I did it. Not because you're clever, not because you're spiritual, not because you're powerful, not because you're anointed, because I did it. Joseph, Jacob's son, from Rachel. This whole line keeps going. Joseph has a dream. He's anointed. He's called by God. He's special. And how does that work out? Hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, falsely accused of rape, sitting and rotting in prison, forgotten. You see any disappointment here? This ain't the dream that I saw. This ain't the covenant that I saw. This ain't the promise that I heard. Lord, what are you doing? Psalm 105, 19 says this about Joseph. Until the time his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. (laughs) That word is just like this on the inside. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. No. Here's what he's saying. 
disappointment with God, where things happen that we don't understand, that seem hard, harsh, and devastating. If you've lived very long, you've experienced some of those things. It's really hard. There's things like that happening in our body right now. Most of you know that. And so what I want to do today is to encourage us that God is God all by himself. And then in the midst of the disappointing things that want to shut down our hearts and shut down our affections for the Lord, the Lord is actually working his plan in a way that we couldn't imagine. And we sit there and stew. And he wants us to go, look, here's your time. Put down your roots. Let them go down deep. Let him go down deeper into me. Make sure that you define right now that your treasure is not 10 things plus me. It's just me. That's what times of disappointment are supposed to do is to draw us to the Lord as our only treasure. That's a total win. Our motives get purified. Our hearts get purified. Think about the other people, some of the others in the Old Testament. How about David? Have you ever read any of his psalms? Do you know there's a whole category of psalms called psalms of complaint? (laughs) You know why? He's like Samuel, the most anointed prophet ever in the Old Testament, who not one of his words ever fell to the ground. That's incredible. Whose mother, by the way, was barren. The Lord likes to use barren mothers to bear children. Because... Nobody takes the credit for that. God did that. Samuel the prophet came, poured the oil on David's head, anointed him. Immediately, he goes and takes the throne and everybody cheers. And is that what happened? How did it play out for David? Saul is jealous. Saul hates him. He's running like a hunting animal, hiding, always on the run with a band of misfits. How long was it before, between David's anointing and him becoming king? About 15 years. Long time. How was it, how long was it from the time that Joseph had his dream to the time that he became prime minister of Egypt? About 15 years. Does that sound disappointing to you? Well, we just prayed yesterday. What happened? Come on, God. He's like, it's okay. His ways are not our ways. Think about the prophets. Y'all may not read the prophets much in the Old Testament. Some of it's a little difficult to get through. How about Elijah? Mighty man of God, the spirit and power of Elijah who was begging God to kill him. How about Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, all of their commissions from the Lord. One of them was in the throne room of God with Isaiah. Ezekiel had the wheels within the wheels. This is powerful stuff. Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to him directly when he was young. Said, my word's going to be in your mouth. But all of their commissions, the Lord told them, you're going to go out and you're going to speak my word and you're going to do what I tell you to do and you're going to suffer for it and nobody's going to listen to you. 
How do you like that calling? And that's true. Throughout, read Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears that I might weep night and day for the slain of the daughters of my people. It was all brokenness and sadness. And he says in, in the book there, God, you've tricked me. You deceived me. You told me you called me and you put your words in my mouth and they were sweet as honey. And then nothing happens. Everybody rejects me. I go down to the pit. I get death threats constantly. It's never working out. You think any of these people were ever disappointed with the Lord? But did God accomplish his purposes is, is the question. What's the most important thing? Is it the glory of God? Is it his purposes? Or is it our dream? We have to decide that. And put things in perspective. I want to read James 5, verses 10 and 11. James 5, 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, that's talking to you, of suffering and patience... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, if we have an example from the prophets that we're supposed to imitate of suffering and patience, does that tell us that suffering is going to happen? Are, are we called as believers to suffer? Come on, let, let's, let's settle that. Come on, put aside your American thinking. Let's get biblical. As believers, are we called to suffer for the name of the Lord? Okay, we are. It's, it's in the scripture. We count those blessed who have endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. The end game in God's heart is always to show compassion and mercy. Sometimes the process getting there doesn't make sense. Job's process, y'all read the book yourself. We could go, we could go line on line. There's, there's so many more. One day, his whole family is wiped out virtually, lost all of his cattle, lost all of his sheep, got boils all over his body, houses blown down, knocked down by wind. Like within a few days, all of that happened. But at the end, the outcome was that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He is. He is. Paul and Barnabas were going through the churches that they planted in Acts 14. This is verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. How did they strengthen the souls of the disciples? Well, they prophesied over each one a personal prophecy and told them that they were called with a greater anointing than all 12 of the apostles put together and all the Old Testament prophets. No. This is how they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations. We must, there's a must there, enter the kingdom of God. This is normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. There's hard things there. God never promised to exempt us from hard things. In fact, he told us we would have hard things. So if we have that in our head, we're going to always be disappointed, right? Whenever hard things come, whenever God asks us to do hard things, and my my dear brothers and sisters in the younger generation, 
I encourage you to do hard things because your calling in God will never be established and never be sure until you learn how to do hard things. Because the things that he calls you to do, some of them are going to be just stinking hard. There is grace. His grace is always there. His grace is always available. His grace is always sufficient. And what happens is when we walk through the Lord through those hard things that don't make sense, our roots are going down. And when your roots go down and you get solidly planted and you can bring up nutrition, then your tree gets bigger and people come and take shade underneath it. But there's a process that happens, and the Lord doesn't exempt us from it. This one story in in Acts chapter 1 gets me. As far as disappointment with God, I think about this. Like, what, what would that be like? Judas went out and hung himself, so he's not one of the 12. They get together in Acts chapter 1, and they go, we need to have a replacement for Judas. So let's put forth... These two guys, and then we'll draw lots and let the Lord decide who it is. Under the Old Testament model, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit yet until Acts chapter 2. So they're using the old model of casting lots. So we'll put this guy forth, Matthias. And the second guy, what was his name? You don't know. His name was Joseph, who was also called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Well, dude, you're disqualified with three names already. They're not going to have an apostle with three names. That's it. You're out. So, but think about what that would have been like. You're in the group. You're in the running to be one of the 12, and it comes up, and it's not you. Think of how that would feel every time you were around those dudes. The Lord rejected you. Dude, that would be hard to swallow. We don't think about that with the little people in the Bible. Do you think that he was tempted to be disappointed? I think so. I think that was probably normal in the Lord's dealings because God has never bound himself inside of the box of our own expectations or even of our own possibilities. He stands outside of our expectations. The sooner that we get that, the better off we're going to be. Now, I want to talk about one of my, my boys, my heroes in the New Testament, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at this passage. I've just got two passages here. Everybody say thank you. Luke chapter 7, we're going to read verses 15 through 23. This is such a good example of navigating disappointment with God and how Jesus and his tenderness helps us when we're disappointed in him. Luke chapter 7, I'm going to read verse 15. So this is where Jesus raises up the, the son of the widow in the city of Nain. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I want to see that. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. 
And this report concerning him went out over all Judea and into the surrounding district. And verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him, meaning John, about all these things. They're telling him the things that are happening in the ministry of Jesus. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent to them, I sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Uh, uh, like his calling was that he is the forerunner who is proclaiming and making clear the way for the Lord, right? Out of Malachi 3 and 4. Are you the one? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, meaning the Messiah, or do we look for someone else? What happened to John the Baptist? Let, let's, let's rehearse. John the Baptist in John chapter 1, when he sees Jesus coming, he gets a revelation from the Father God. And he cries out, Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, John testifies himself in John 1 and says, The one who sent me as a prophet, told me that whoever I see the Spirit coming, descending upon, and resting upon, he is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Revelation from God the Father. This is powerful. Jesus said, I need, I want you to baptize me. John goes, no, dude, you need to baptize me. What are you talking about? He knew from the Father who Jesus was. Do you think that Elizabeth, John's mother, who was barren? All right, that's your default answer if I do that, okay? Elizabeth was barren in her old age. The Lord said, that's my candidate. I'm going to bring my son without having any relations with a man and a teenage girl. I'm going to bring the forerunner comes through an old lady who's way postmenopausal, who's been barren her whole life. Yes, that's my plan. You think John ever heard the story about when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, her relative, and the baby, John, when you were in my womb, son, and she came, you started leaping up and down, probably preaching inside, repent! <laughs> you, you don't think he heard those stories? I think he did. You don't think his dad told him, I was in the temple, and the angel Gabriel came. And he spoke to me that your wife, who is old and barren, is going to have a son, and you're to call him John. And I said, are you serious? Dude, we're old. We don't tango anymore. He said, because of that, you're going to be silent until he's born. He wasn't conceived yet, y'all. This is a long time of silence.
Then when he's born, his father writes, his name is John, on the paper, and his mouth is open. He begins to speak. You, you don't think John heard that story? If you were his dad, would you tell him that story? Absolutely. John had revelation from God, but in the midst of his disappointment, listen, he was called the angel Gabriel came and quoted scripture to Zechariah out of the book of Malachi. This boy, your son, is going to be the coming Elijah that I prophesied in the book of Malachi. He's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. That's who he is. He quoted right out of Malachi the passage that he is the Elijah. And Jesus confirmed that that's who he was. What more do you want? Dude, you could build a ministry and a mailing list off that, just like that. The, capital T-H-E, Elijah. He sent, he preaches, he preaches repentance. The Lord anoints him. Hordes of people are coming repenting. And he's baptizing them in the Jordan River. How long do you think his ministry lasted before he was put in prison by Herod? Look, you all have to understand. In the Jewish expectation, the two biggest personalities that they were longing for and praying for was first the Messiah and secondly the Elijah. He's like number two, but that's really big. You would think that ministry is going to be fantastic and awesome and going to last forever. How long do you think John actually ministered before Herod put him in prison and he sat in prison for one to two years before he was beheaded and that was the end of his life and ministry? The Elijah. That's like super disappointing. How long? Take a guess. How long do you think John preached before he was put in prison? Yeah. Scholars vary. We don't know exactly. Somewhere six months at the least, 30 months at the max, probably 18 months is a good guess. His, the ministry of the second biggest personality in the entire Old Testament who was prophesied to come, when he got here, he only ministered for a year and a half, and then he was gone. He's sitting in jail. Imagine what is happening inside of his head. He knew all of this stuff. He knew the Lord had anointed him. He knew the Lord had called him to this. He knew that Jesus was the Christ. But in times of discouragement and disappointment, our minds get fuzzy and we forget who God is and we forget who we are. And so, verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind, and he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. Now, Jesus, you just have to understand, if your Bible has um, Old Testament quotes in all caps like mine does, you're going to see that Jesus now starts quoting Scripture. Tell him this scripture. Tell him, because John knew the scripture. The, he quoted four different passages out of the book of Isaiah about the coming one and about the restoration of Israel. He quotes, 
Go and tell them what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Verse 23. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John's preaching a gospel. Repent or you're going to burn. Like the wrath of God is coming. He's he's preaching out of the Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus isn't following through the way he wants him to. Why didn't Jesus go to Herod's jail and free him? Why didn't he just go there and make guards start falling dead and whatever? Why didn't he do any of that? And that's exactly what John's wondering. You've come here to deliver Israel from their captivity to the Romans. And here I'm your boy. I'm your boy. I would sit here and clear your way. And you're letting me sit here and rot in prison until I get my head cut off. What is happening? And Jesus said, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That Greek word there is really powerful. It's, it's you know, scandalon is a stumbling block. It's, the, it's a scandalia. You're not scandalized by me. You, you, you know what that word means? It doesn't just mean that you have a little offense in your heart and we'll get over it later. We'll kiss and make up later. He's saying, blessed is the one who doesn't get offended with me and turn away. Here's what our temptation is in times of disappointment. We withdraw from the Lord. We're like, you ever seen a little child when you're correcting them and they're looking up at you and then you start talking to them and they go, Not listen to you. That's what that word means. Blessed is he who doesn't do that. No. You don't love me. You don't care about me. No. My vision. Being called as the voice of the one. The Elijah. The anointed one with the spirit of power. I have baptized thousands for you. I have called thousands to repentance so that their heart will be ready to receive you. And you're leaving me rotting in prison. Who are you? Are you really the one that we're looking for? Three main causes of disappointment with God. Here they are. Number one, undeserved suffering. John's experienced all of these three. This is what put him in a funk. Undeserved suffering. Number two, unfulfilled expectations. Imagine what you would think that the ministry of the Elijah would be like. And John's wasn't like that. He thought the Messiah was going to come and completely overturn society. But Jesus is doing it in two phases. The first one is to come and show himself and give more space for people to repent. Because he's not willing that any perish, but all 
come to repentance. So as many as possible. But the judgment's coming. It's not... It's not gone away with. It's just coming. There's two phases here. Read the book of Revelation. Hello. They're hiding in caves and rocks because of the wrath of God and the lamb that's being poured out. It's coming. It's not yet. John didn't understand that. Most of the prophets didn't. The apostles didn't understand. Unfulfilled expectation and unexpected delays. What has been taking you so long? Why, Lord, did it take you? Here's here's the psalm of complaint. What's the deal with the 34 years? What's the deal with all of the things that we've experienced in life that were seriously difficult? What's the deal? How is that part of the plan? And here's the thing. He's not going to tell us. Read the book of Job. Job has his case. He's, he's setting it out like a lawyer. If I had somebody to go in court before God, like I would prove my case. Like I would be justified because I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this. And you know what God's answer to Job was with the suffering that he had? God's answer was God showed up in a whirlwind and God said, hey, is there something you wanted to tell me? He's like, no, I've heard about you with the hearing of the ears, but now that I see you with my eyes, I hate myself and repent in dust and ashes. I'm an idiot. Here's the thing. What we need in our moments of disappointment is a good dose of who God is and who we are. That he's not serving us, that we're his slaves. So we belong to him and we do what he wants. We were created for his glory and for his pleasure. He loves us dearly and deeply, but he doesn't pamper us. His love is not a pampering love. His love is a perfecting love. So in the times of disappointment, he's saying, come on, rise up. It's going to be okay. I know this is hard. Trust me, I felt the pain of all of the universe. I know this is hard. His son, he sent his own son to the cross to suffer and die. The one who was only one who was totally innocent. The worst form of death, crucifixion. I know what it feels like, he says. Can you trust my heart? Can you trust my promises? Can you trust who I am? And can you make me your treasure in this moment instead of your circumstance? That's what he wants from us in our moments. Y'all, if we, if we all confessed honestly, I know we don't want to say anything that is negative. I wouldn't say I was ever disappointed with God. Okay. But in our heart of hearts, has there ever been a time when you have withdrawn from the Lord? Like, and you're, 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 a, little bit, you're a little bit upset with him because of the way things played out. And he says, he, he, he never tells Job why. Never. 
He says, dude, here, just let me ask you questions, and then I'll let you ask your question. I'm going to tell you a few things. I want to ask you questions first, then you can ask me. Were you there when I created the stars? Were you there when I created all the fish? Were you there when I created all of the beasts of the field and of the ocean and all? Were, were you there? Like, can you tell me how I did it? And Job's like, but you, you know you're so smart. And you know that you're justified. And if you take me to court, you're going to win hands down. You, you know that, but... Let me just ask you a few more questions. And God goes on and on, right? You follow the story of Job? By the end of that, Job's like, I'm an idiot! And God says, that's good. I'm going to restore you because my heart is for you. Now, I want you to pray for your friends who did nothing but accuse you, and they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm ticked off at them, so you better pray for them. <clears throat> and so Job prays for his friends who are enemies, and God restored. His heart the whole time was to restore Job, but he was trying to get at something deep in his heart. Like, your disappointment with me, your accusation against me, like, that's a problem between you and me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your eyes to me and see who I am. And be amazed again at who I am. And make me again your treasure and not your circumstance. That's what I want. You not to pine away about anything that's hard or this or that. As if I don't give grace. As if I don't give provision. I, I want you to see me again. That's what he's calling for us to do. John already knew these things, but he became fuzzy in his suffering. And so Jesus helps John by pointing him to the scripture. This is who God said I am. This is who I am. He turned his eyes away from his disappointment and to the truth of God. Here's a principle. This is really solid. I believe the Lord gave me these words years ago when I was in one of these times of Shaking, disappointment, psalms of complaint were coming out in song and in word. <clears throat> yeah, I did. I wrote a lot of that in my journal. I wrote songs about it too. But I went, <laughs> um, <clears throat> Here, here's what I believe the Lord told me. In, in times of shaking, we go back to what we know. That's what we do. We go back to what we know. What we know about God, what we know about his word, what we know about his truth, what we know about his character, what we know about his working, his dealing, his calling of us. We go back to that and we stand on that again and say, Lord, this is solid ground. Everything that I'm seeing around me where the fields are on fire, all that's not solid ground. This is solid. I go back to what I know. That's what Jesus was calling John to do. Dude, go back to your roots. Go back to what you know. Go back to the book of Isaiah. Go back to all those prophecies about the Messiah that you have studied and memorized all these years go back to the foundation that's what you do in times of shaking we go back to what we know that's where we get solid again disappointment is the time to draw near to God and to go deeper 
than you have gone before. And then one more passage here. John chapter 16. So good. As you know, John 13 through 17, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples celebrating Passover, washed their feet in 13, and he's teaching them in 14, 15, 16, praying in 17. So this is just hours, literally hours before they walk out the door and go to Gethsemane. It really is that close. So John chapter 16, the last verses, I want to read 28 through 33, and just, I I want for the three promises that Jesus makes, in, in, especially in verse 33, to resonate with us. Because, y'all, talk about disappointment with God. The granddaddy of all of it was just hours away when Jesus told him this word. The granddaddy of all disappointments, the Messiah that they had left everything to follow him, he's getting ready and they can't get it. He tells them over and over again and they just refuse to see it. They can't see it. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And they're like, oh, I don't know. So he's telling them again and he knows they're not ready. This is going to be the biggest disappointment of their whole life that's just about to happen at the cross. So verse 28, he's telling him again, going into this, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. They're spiritualizing this in their head. Oh, that's awesome. He's probably going on a spiritual vacation. Um, his disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus' answer in verse 31. Do you finally believe? Really? Now? That's, that's the force of it. Y- you believe. Here's the thing. Every single one of those men sitting in that room who just said they believe in him, are going to give their lives as martyrs for that belief. Jesus knows that. But first, they're going to walk out the door and get hit by a Mack truck. And their disappointment is going to go through the roof because they know that he is the Messiah. And he's going to be crucified. Verse 32 Behold, an hour is coming. He's he's getting ready. He's trying to prepare them for for the truck. An hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Dude, you awesome dudes who believe in me are all going to betray me here in just a few hours. You're awesome apostles. A-A, awesome apostles. That's going to be my new ministry name. Awesome apostles. You're all going to betray me and leave me. Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't trust us unless he's in us and controls us. Because he knows how weak we are. We make the big declarations, but then when it comes down to rubber meeting the road, 
He knows. Verse 33. Here's where I think there's three promises. Two of them are stated. And one of them is implied, and I'm going to try to explain that. Okay, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Yes, you're going to get run over by a Mack truck. I've spoken to you these things so that in me you may have peace. I'm going to come back to that one. Here's the first one I want to deal with. In the world you have tribulation. Here's a promise that you're going to inherit. You don't even have to believe for it. You don't have to believe for this one. Like you don't have to put on your prayer list. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. In, in the world. It's baked into the cake of the world. You're going to have tribulation. Yes, you're going to get it in the neck for loving Jesus. And yes, it's a fallen world where Satan is the God of this world and there's going to be all kinds of hard and difficult and bad things that happen and you're going to raise crops by the sweat of your brow and they're not just going to pop up from the earth. There's going to be hard things that happen. But this word tribulation is really interesting because he used it in verse 21 above, and which isn't on the screen, but you can look if you have a Bible. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. That word anguish of childbirth is this word tribulation. It's the same word. He's referring back to that. In the world, you're going to have the same kind of pain and pressure of having a baby, but that was 2,000 years before epidurals. Sorry. No epidurals. Jesus! That's promise one. So, we know, right, listen. We know that we're going to have to do hard things and go through hard things, right? It's just going to happen. Just because you live, it's going to happen. Not because you did something wrong, or you may have. We don't want to suffer as evildoers, the Bible says, but things happen. I've told you this story before, but one Friday afternoon, not that many years ago, within two hours, I found out that one of my sons totaled one of our cars. My identity had been stolen, and somebody stole a $10,000 tax return from me. And my AC unit on my house went out, all within a two-hour period. I'm like, for real? Your promise is true! Hallelujah! Y'all, Christianity doesn't exempt us from that. It teaches us how to deal with that. It doesn't make all suffering go away. We're in the world. It's baked into the cake. But there's grace. And here's the thing. Here's the key phrase in the next promise. So that's the first promise. You didn't like that one probably. Anguish is your portion. Be happy. It's coming. It's baked in the cake. You're going to take a bite and you're going to go, uh. Here's the next one, though. In me, you have peace. The key phrase there is in me. He had talked about in John chapter 15, if you abide in me, 
if you remain in me, if you stay connected with me, then the sap that's inside of the vine is going to flow into your puny little branch. And produce fruit. The promise of Jesus is that we we remain in him. We draw from the supply that's in him. No matter what is swirling around us. No matter what anguish is happening. Where there's a whole delivery room of screaming women trying to give birth. I've been there for the birth of all my children. My wife did amazing. But it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. Some of you ladies, I wouldn't want to be around you when you were giving birth. You, you, get, you, get, you get mean. <laughs> but in me. So, y'all, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? I, I want to just suggest something because for so many years I was like, abide, abide. Yeah, what does that mean? Oh, I was just going to say, I abide in you, Lord. Like, no, here is, here's what it is. It's those little connections that you keep up throughout the day. It's those little connections of turning your heart to the Lord. It's those times that you set aside and just get before him and you ask the Holy Spirit to open the words to you and you begin to read and he imparts something in you. It's those little times when you get a phone call and say such and such about so and so and you, and you stop to pray. It's those little times of just keeping Keeping those connections alive with him. If you, if you abide in me like that, just keep connected. Just stay connected. My peace will be your portion. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful promise. And then the, the last one here is kind of hidden. <laughs> Brother Cliff and I were kind of joking about this the other day. We were talking about this verse. He says in verse 33, I've spoken... These things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Okay. I think, okay, well, that's kind of like Michael Jordan say, Hey, don't worry. I've won six NBA championships. So get out there and do it. No, I'm, I'm not Michael Jordan. That, that's great for you, dude. Good job. But how is that encouraging to me? Because Jesus said, I'm going, that the Spirit has been with you, with me, but now he's going to be in you. And I'm going to take my overcoming of the world and live it through you. I'm going to keep you from being drawn away by the allurements and the compromises of this world. I'm going to keep you from being crushed by the difficulties and hardships of this world. I'm going to live it through you in the same way that I never compromised and I never drew back from the mission of the Father. I'm going to live that through you and make it happen in you. That is a promise that is awesome. That is a promise that's awesome. So I want to, we're going to get to communion in just a second. We're going to receive communion together and just re-up our connection with the Lord. But I want to, I want to say this. In the midst of disappointing, difficult, and hard circumstances, there's two questions that we should always release, and there's two questions that we should always embrace. Okay, let me tell you the two questions we should always release. The first one is, Why? Why? That's the first one we want to ask. 
but that's also the first one. I'm not saying it's wrong or evil. Of course, we want to understand, but here's the deal. We won't always understand, and the Lord doesn't always tell us why something happened. He's not obligated to tell us that. So I would suggest release that. Offer the why to him as worship. I don't know why, but I love you. I don't know why, but I trust you. I don't know why, but I know your heart is good. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's powerful. That's the heart of God. Lean into the heart of God in that moment instead of wallowing in the why. You can't get anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It can't gain any traction. Just release the why as worship to the Lord and turn it to trust. Amen. The second question you want to release is, what if? Well, what if I would have done this? And what if that would have happened? And what if I would have said that and not that? And what, like all of that is water under the bridge. Like you can't go back and change it. And so it's really pointless. You're getting yourself in a swirl that you can't get out of. Release the why. Release the what if. And then the two questions to embrace. The first one is, who is my God? Ask yourself again, who is my God? You need to have the experience that Job had to see the Lord for who he is, to see his greatness, to see his great heart again to feel his nearness and his presence again, to remind yourself that he is the one who upholds everything in the universe by the word of his power. That's powerful. Every living thing would die if he wasn't sustaining it by his own word. Everything. He's powerful. He's amazing. And the second question is, how can I go deeper in him in this season? Turn the disappointment into an appointment to go deeper in God. Turn the disappointment into an appointment to go deeper with your God. There's all kinds of disappointments that we deal with. We deal with relational disappointments. We deal with financial disappointments. We deal sometimes with the struggles with physical health. Even though we believe God's a healer, we know he is. But we struggle with that, right? Let's be honest. We struggle with these things. We struggle with the pressure. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with all kinds of things. But let, let's use them as an appointment. How can we go deeper? How can we go deeper? We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, Know that you're more than welcome, and if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com. We hope that